You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com and get your fantasy fix from Mike Harmon of SwollenDome.com. Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with CBS analyst and former Raiders CEO, Amy Trask. Amy Trask of CBS Sports. Amy, always a pleasure. You know how passionate Raider fans can be based on your years as the CEO of the team. Do you think Marshawn Lynch's value transcends just football? We saw him getting the crowd involved as he was dancing on the sideline Sunday, and we know some of those fans aren't happy because the team is heading to Nevada in three years. Uh, absolutely, positively, there is a value that transcends what he does on the field. And first of all, thanks for having me, man. I always enjoy our conversations, but your, your point is spot on, and it's something I've spoken to before. I do believe, and I did believe going into the season, and we've now seen it borne out, that, that he will contribute on the field of play. But that said, his contribution uh, transcends that. This is a team that is leaving the market in which it's currently playing, and it's an interesting situation because it's as if the organization said, um, the analogy, I guess, is one spouse says to the other, I'm leaving you for someone I love more, and I'm going to build a dream home with that person and move into it, we're working on it, but while we're building that dream home, I'm going to stay here and live with you. It's, it's, a, it's a rough situation for fans um, in the Bay Area, and Marshawn is beloved in Oakland. He's from Oakland. He contributes to the community in Oakland. He went to my alma mater, Cal. He does things for the team off the field as well. Yeah, I mean, it's good to speak with you, and you're everything right about what he's doing for that community. And, and when you know your team is leaving, it's somewhat like, it's almost like a Band-Aid that's covering up the wound just a little bit, right, for the moment, which is it's kind of having that out-of-sight, out-of-mind experience through joy and excitement and enthusiasm. And to see him on the jump on the Jumbotron, Marshawn Lynch dancing, just took, I guess, that excitement to another level to where I guarantee you probably as of now, you don't have too many people talking about Vegas and when this team is actually going to leave because they're having so much fun because of players, like you've just mentioned, the beloved child there in that part of the country, uh, Marshawn Lynch. I, I do think, Cordell, you know, it's notwithstanding that you still owe me a fourth down, it's always wonderful to chat with you and to hear your <laughs> voice. You. And no, I'm not over it. No, I'm not going to get over it. But it's all in good spirit as good sports. But give me my damn fourth down. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I was sort of inarticulate about it, and you did a much nicer job than I. Do I believe he can help that team on the field? Absolutely, yes, and we've seen that. Do I believe that in signing him, um, it was a salve or a balm for the, the disappointed fans in that marketplace who are heartbroken that their team is leaving. Yes, I do. You know, he is beloved in that community. He contributes to that community. He is part of that community. He went to college in that community. It, it was a, a business signing as much as a football signing. Amy Trask of CBS Sports is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Amy, always helpful to have someone who has a law degree like yourself as we try to make sense of the Ezekiel Elliott case from a standpoint of procedure. 
How much does Roger Goodell personally have on the line based on that initial ruling from the judge in Texas that the appeals process lacked fundamental fairness? Well, um, I'll, I'll answer that in a couple ways. That was a very, very strong ruling from that judge, as you just pointed out to the listeners. Um, it is not often that a judge will go to that length um, to hammer a point home as strongly as the judge did. But that said, I don't believe it is Roger specific. It is to the league as a whole and the league office as a whole and the league processes as a whole. And whether that's Linda Friel or others in the office, it's yes, Roger is the commissioner and his name is at the top of the letterhead and the criticism and opprobrium is directed to him. But I think the issue is the league as a whole, not it's unfair to say it's simply Roger. Amy, when you look at the AFC West, how excited are you um, as someone that's been a part of that division for some time to see the Denver Broncos playing as good as they are? The Kansas City Chiefs with Alex Smith is just playing out of his mind. And then, of course, Oakland is doing what they're doing. Is this probably and, and then you look at the Chargers. I mean, there are a couple plays away of, from truly right. being undefeated. I mean, is this is the most competitive we've ever seen this AFC West division be considering that all four teams are really, really playing really good football. It's just one hadn't gotten a win yet. Um, well, you know, your, your, your analysis is spot on. Um, three of the teams are, have, have the wins to show for their efforts, but, a couple plays away is absolutely right. Um, if that final field goal isn't blocked in Denver, San Diego goes to overtime. Who knows who wins that game? And then we saw what happened last week. You know, the AFC West, and, and you are absolutely right, Cordell. My heart has always been with and will always be with the AFC West. Um, there have been times where it has been just this competitive, and I think it's a lot of fun to see and a lot of fun with the league. Um, I'm really intrigued, fascinated, maybe the better word, um, with the lack of national attention on the Kansas City Chiefs. And this goes back to last season. The Chiefs won that division fair and square by beating the Raiders twice. And yet all the attention was on the excitement about the Raiders. And I understand that. The Raiders are an exciting team, an explosive team. But people in the AFC West and otherwise, just ask the Patriots, had better watch out for Kansas City because they did win that division last year fair and square. Amy, we know the bulk of the league revenue comes from media deals, but from a standpoint of optics, is it a challenge to see plenty of empty seats at Levi's Stadium, L.A. Coliseum, elsewhere, for a variety of reasons? Um, You know, obviously it's a challenge, and I think um, you mentioned Levi's and and the L.A. Coliseum, and I'll I'll look at them in two different respects. Um, My view is, and my understanding, my view is that the league should be far more concerned about what's going on at Levi's than at at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, and here's why. Levi's is a brand-new stadium into which a lot of resources were poured And the fact that that stadium is as empty as it is should be a much greater concern. And the reason I say that is this. Um, I I live in Los Angeles, as you know. I grew up in Los Angeles. A couple things about this market. People want to be where they need to be to see and be seen. Uh, When the Raiders were in Los Angeles, our highest demand for tickets 
was once we announced a game was sold out. And the Rams are playing in a stadium that was built in, or finished, I should say, in 1923. That building is almost 100 years old. And yes, there have been improvements to it. But Los Angeles has not had a new football stadium in almost 100 years. If a new stadium goes in, of the magnificence that that Stan Kroenke has indicated we will see in Inglewood, and it remains empty, that's a problem like what the league is seeing in Santa Clara. I don't think the league should panic until that new stadium is up. Is that probably why we see the Chargers not having the StubHub Stadium of only twenty eight to 29,000 people not filled up yet because they're not buying into a a soccer venue uh, when it comes down to showing up, or is it just bad football play by the new L.A. Chargers? You know, a heck of a question, Cordell, and it'll be interesting to see what happens if and when the Chargers start winning this season or otherwise, and, and they will at some point, um, and, and they're just so bitten by that injury bug, you know, at some point they'll get past that as well. Um, the Chargers have an interesting situation. They, they have an opportunity in that stadium, which is far, far smaller than anything else, to invert the supply and demand ratio, but they're going to have to attract new fans because clearly their fans from San Diego have not given any indication whatsoever that they want to follow them to Los Angeles. Amy, great information as always. Thanks for another visit on the NFL on TuneIn. How does Cordell repay you that fourth down? Is it PayPal? How does the transaction occur? <laughs> I'm not sure, Cordell, that we shouldn't line up and replay the down. We were owed that fourth down. Maybe we – no, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Amy, there will be hamstrings pulled all over my body, okay? <laughs> hamstrings that run up my back, I do. I'll, you'll you know find what, out I have that? hamstrings in my back, too. <laughs> I think what we can settle it with is an enormous, enormous, and I do mean enormous, ice cream sundae the next time I see you. Uh, okay. With lots of flavors and lots of toppings. And then, thank you as always for having me on. I love our chit chat. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. If you ever played for the Redskins, you can <laughs> Redskin go on haters. a radio show and have a sizzling hot take. Yeah. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, you just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, and lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Straight ahead, we'll crank up the volume. More strong opinions to wrap up the show. We call it the hurry-up offense. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's get the latest on Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, thanks for taking the time. We know that Denver has a strong defense, but were you surprised their front seven played that well against the Cowboys? Solid offensive line. Yeah, I I was surprised. Uh, I thought that uh, you know that their front seven played awfully, awfully well, uh, and that was the first time in uh, I think many years that I've seen uh, a defensive front just stuff uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So it kind of makes you sit here and go, huh? Maybe losing two fifths of their starters on the offensive line from last year uh, has made a difference in that offensive line. Uh, or, boy, the Denver Broncos really had 
a good plan and had the personnel to execute it. And I'll just give you one of the thoughts that I thought Jerry Jones summed it up pretty well after the game, uh, I guess after it finished by time the delay was over and the game was over, it was almost Sunday night. He said, I'm not sure that was our team, but that might be the Denver Broncos, meaning they were awfully good. So uh, I think it was, a, you know, kind of a call to reality for this Cowboys team that, uh, you know, they've still got room to grow. You know, Mickey, when you look at how this Denver defense played, um, they didn't try to rush through the lanes to make tackles to stop the running game. They kind of had that, you know, extend your arms away from the offensive lineman uh, and wherever the running back runs, you stick your head in a hole and they just clogged every hold. How much credit do you give to Vance Joseph for this team being able to respond the way they respond, considering this is his first year doing it? Uh, they held an offense that was arguably the best offense when it came to the running the football last season uh, down to a little of nothing, what, nine rushes for eight yards, which was .88 yards on the day for Ezekiel Elliott. How much credit do you give to Vance Joseph for being able to transition from a defense-minded coach defensively from a defensive coordinator standpoint to now a head coach? Yeah, I thought I thought they had a really good plan, and uh, I, I – you know, listen to him or at least read what he had to say about their defensive philosophy up front was uh, to make sure their defensive linemen uh, were not chasing the football, that they were just filling the gaps, uh, that their linebackers would fill the other gaps, uh, and that uh, they would just squash that Cowboys running game between the tackles. And they had the personnel to do it. Uh, I think they improved their defensive line uh, play from last year, uh, and and I think it was a, it was a, it, it, they not only were they able to be successful up there, but they were able to pull it off because they were able to shut down the Cowboys' passing game also. So it was almost like they put the Cowboys in double jeopardy. Not only did they shut down the running game, but their front seven I thought was. Uh, talented enough to put pressure on Dak Prescott where they just didn't have a clean day uh, throwing the football. Now, the Cowboys had some opportunities, uh, but they didn't cash in. Uh, had three drops uh, that I counted at least, uh, a couple uh, interceptions, uh, one on a drop pass, one of those three drop passes that fell into Harris's lap, uh, and then a bad route, I thought, by Des Bryant in the end zone towards the end of the game. So uh, a combination of a very good plan, and then I don't think this Cowboy offense rose to the occasion uh, well enough to be able to go on the road, and as you know, in a place that's very hard to, to win at uh, and be able to win a game. Chatting with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com and the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey, as you know, Jason Garrett said he wasn't pleased with the lack of effort from Ezekiel Elliott when it looked like Ezekiel gave up on the play after the interception. Is this a teachable moment for a young player? Yeah, I think absolutely so. And, you know, I, there, there were two instances um, that, that occurred. Uh, you know, the funny thing and the irony – uh, of the last interception that was returned for a touchdown. And, you know, he got accused for not chasing, which he didn't. Uh, if he didn't step across the formation and pick up a blitzer to protect Dak Prescott on that play, that ball would have never been intercepted because Dak would have been sacked. It, it was a free guy coming. Uh, so, you know, he went down and cut the guy, if you go back and watch it. 
uh, and landed on the ground at about the 10-yard line, I think it was. And he was still sitting there when Aqib Tlaib uh, made it to the 10-yard line in a full sprint. So, yeah, I don't know if he if he quit, if he made one of those business decisions like, you know what, there's no way in the world I'm going to get to my feet with him on a running head start and catch him uh, and decided not to chase. But there were a couple other guys in the end zone that didn't give chase either, but that part didn't make it on TV. So as we know uh, these days, if there's a picture of what you did, uh, boy, you're in trouble. Mickey, there's a few teams we can actually talk about that that's doing a great job um, this year so far. Uh, we can talk about Detroit. Uh, we can talk about the Denver Broncos, which we just did. Uh, I want to talk about Alex Smith and his Kansas City Chiefs team. Uh, coming into this season after the Chiefs went into the draft and, and grabbed Patrick Mahomes at the 10th pick overall, moving up in the draft to grab him, obviously the conversation coming out of there with Alex Smith was – basically with him and his team, basically saying that, you know, maybe this is my time. This this is it. I, I may not be here no more next year. I see the writing on the wall because of what took place in San Francisco. How impressed are you that Andy Reid has really taken the cuffs off in a figurative way of speaking of Alex Smith, allowing him to throw the football down the field, getting creative with the schemes, but yet winning in multiple ways. One with a higher scoring game on the road against New England, but yet doing it from a strategy standpoint, what a shovel pass to a Travis Kelsey in the latter part of the game. How impressed are you of Alex Smith seeing him playing as well as he is so far? Yeah, Cordell, really impressed. It's almost like they took the handcuffs off him and said, okay, go play quarterback. You know, we're, we're not going to sit here and play this little cozy offense where we dink and dunk and hope we score enough points and our defense plays really well. Uh, I think they, they've gotten off to a really impressive start. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were talking about – the rest of the NFL uh, today on our Talking Cowboys show. And I said, yeah. I said, there's only one division in the NFL that has three 2-0 teams, and it happens to be the AFC West, and it happens to be the AFC division the Cowboys have to play this year. Uh, so uh, if, if there's a tough road ahead for the Cowboys, it's certainly coming out of that AFC West with the way the Raiders, the Broncos, and now the Chiefs are playing. And, Mickey, when you match up with marquee quarterbacks like Alex Smith has developed into the start of the year, you got to get some pressure on the QB. How much of the Cowboys miss David Irving coming off the edge as he continues to serve the four-game suspension? Well, you know, they, they missed him not, not only on the off the edge, but in the middle, too, because they had some formations where they used him on a three-man line, and he was sort of the nose tackle, but not your uh, normal nose tackle uh, when you're up there at 6'7 uh, and have the ability to run the way he, he can run. Uh, one of the help they should get, and I think probably by tomorrow they have to make the decision, uh, Demontre Moore, who they took a chance on as a free agent this offseason, uh, will be coming off his two-game suspension. So they have to decide tomorrow if they're going to put him on the 53-man roster and if they make a roster adjustment, uh, he might be able to help. So far, the only consistent pass rusher they have uh, has been Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, and he's off to a great start. He's had two sacks in each of the first uh, two games. 
Uh, that's four times as many sacks as he had all last season when it was just one after he came off a four-game suspension and then battled a back that needed surgery uh, at the end of the season. So if they can find somebody on that other side, is it Demontre Moore? Might it be David Irving? Uh, will one of the young guys like Charles Tapper or Taco Charlton emerge? Uh, but they need another guy. Uh, because at some point, these other teams are going to go, okay, Demarcus Lawrence is not wrecking our offense. We'll make sure of that, and we'll take our chances with the other guys. So, uh, you know, your question's well-founded. Irving's got two more games uh, to serve uh, his four-game suspension, and then they get an opportunity to get him back. But the Cowboys need to do a better job of putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And I thought that was one of the surprising things in that Denver game because supposedly their offensive line uh, was average. Well, I thought they played awfully well. Uh, you know, they, they, they did a good job uh, of creating running holes uh, for C.J. Anderson, uh, along with protecting uh, Simeon. Uh, you know, a lot of times he had the time of day in the pocket. And when you run the ball the way they ran the ball uh, and allow him to throw when he wanted to throw, not when he had to throw, uh, that's a bad combination. And I don't care who the quarterback is. If he's in the NFL, uh, he's got an opportunity to hurt you in those situations. When does Marvin Lewis or the Cincinnati Bengals make the move to A.J. McCarron because of how Andy Dalton has been playing so far? Yeah, I, I would imagine if he thinks McCarron can play, uh, it's getting close because, uh, you know, once you fire the offensive coordinator, uh, you know, what's next? Uh, and usually it's the quarterback, right? Uh, so uh, I know it's always a tough uh, decision to make when you take a veteran uh, out of a starting job and put in somebody with very little ex- playing experience or a young guy. Uh, and it's a delicate deal, you know, and I can remember back to 2006 when Bill Parcells said, okay, at halftime of the Giants game, I think it was like game uh, six, I want to say, uh, enough's enough with Drew Bledsoe. I'm going with Tony Romo, who had, who had basically – played a half of football uh, in his four-year career and said, okay, I got to check this out. Uh, And the first game out, the first half, uh, Romo gets intercepted three times, even the first possession. But after that, things calmed down and it actually was a good decision. So, yeah, at some point, uh, those veteran quarterbacks, they, they wear out their welcome if there's a guy capable of taking their place. Mickey, great information as always. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Enjoy doing it with you guys. See ya. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. If you ever played for the Redskins, you can go on a radio show and have a sizzling hot take. Yeah. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, you just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, and lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash NoHuddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Straight ahead, we'll crank up the volume. More strong opinions to wrap up the show. We call it the hurry-up offense. 
This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. And he goes to the near side, and it's picked off! Intercepted! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy, fantasy Fix. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by one of the best in the business, our good friend Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Let's start in Carolina. Greg Olson out with the broken foot. Cam Newton has looked wobbly coming back from his shoulder procedure. Would you continue to start Cam moving forward? Well, I think you got him on the, the board for this week because you're at home against New Orleans, who I think the three of us and eight of our buddies uh, might be able to put some points on the board right now. Okay, that's not, not true. I got a bad first step. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, you, you lose Greg Olson, you lose your what who has been your number one target, a little bit of a bounce back thus far from Benjamin. But right now, Newton's a, a top-end number two quarterback for me because we're not getting the rushing efforts that we've seen in the past. 11 attempts, total of 30 yards through two games, not moving well, not throwing the ball well. Uh, I'll find other options. Mike, when you look at how Ezekiel Elliott played against the Broncos and how bad he played, uh, some claim he quit on the team. Is he still a guy you can rely on? Yeah, well, you're not going to face a Denver squad quite so so regularly. So, you know, we can't kick him out altogether, but certainly some concerns about about effort plays and some of the demeanor on the sideline. I think that'll probably carry with him going forward, but you're looking at a road matchup against an Arizona squad struggling thus far, and for Elliott, they get back to basics. As long as they don't fall behind in a big way, he should still be able to put up his points. Now, how long this drags out in the courts, we'll see how much that affects him in terms of the, you know the mental preparation, and, and right now it's too early to call that a trend, uh, but perhaps we found a little bit of the blueprint in terms of what to do with, with Dallas. Stretch him out uh, and try to go over the top against that defense, and if you can get a lead, make Dak Prescott uh, work a little harder because Des Bryant not getting the separation he once did. Mike, because you are a pop culture historian, you know that Johnny Carson, prior to taking over for Jack Parr in The Tonight Show, hosted a game show called Who Do You Trust? That's not important. How much do you trust Trevor Simeon coming off the four touchdowns he had against the Cowboys? You mean other than his wildcat background, you know, and my bleeding of purple? Oh, stop. You, you stick me, Cordell. Stop. Your blood is purple. <laughs> <laughs> no? Uh, all right. I, I like the two wideouts that you got, and obviously C.J. Anderson coming back and running hard after some injury concerns a year ago. Uh, you, you've got a blueprint that works. Defense is going to set him up with advantageous field position uh, this week on the road at Buffalo. Not the best of spots, but certainly worth consideration as a high-end number two, and, and certainly uh, on the waiver wire, people have ignored him. We, we talked about him last week, and, and certainly I, I tried to tout him, and not just for selfish reasons, but just the idea of him being owned in fewer than 15% of fantasy leagues seem ludicrous when you've got Sanders and Thomas working with you. Mike, do you view Cordero, Cordero Patterson uh, the same way you view Ty Montgomery? 
you know what, in deeper leagues, if you've got a roster spot that you're willing to burn or you've already got guys looking at the IR and, and perhaps uh, wasteland in terms of target counts, then we can put them on there as a watch guy uh, and, and hope that that role continues. But three carries, even with the explosiveness, we've been teased by Cordero Patterson in the past. Uh, I'm not willing to buy in unless there's just that absolutely uh, dreadful guy on the roster that I've decided I need to cut bait with. Plus, remember that touchdown came against the Jets. I know it's still factually a touchdown, <laughs> but you got to factor that in to the analysis. Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, go back to last year. The Texans were number one in total defense, even though J.J. Watt was out with a back procedure. What's the outlook moving forward? Tricky matchup this week taking on the Patriots. Uh, when we look at the the Texans, I mean, you've got DeAndre Hopkins that you trust, a little bit of Lamar Miller, uh, but we're expecting to see more of Foreman going forward to split in uh, as well. They've already lost every tight end that, that played, so tough to, to get excited offensively, even if it does look nice with the New England defense on the other side of things. So I, I think I'm, I'm staying away for the most part. Uh, I've got a number two slot on, on Hopkins in the early uh, early teens, but beyond that, uh, it's a stay away. On the other side of that game, big favorites, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, too much so with that defense uh, that Houston brings to bear. But uh, one of those games that, you know, in terms of when we look at point totals, which is one of the tiebreakers when figuring out your fantasy lineups, actually one of the higher numbers for this week. C.J. Anderson, since he's been back with the Denver Broncos, has really been playing some good football, I think, helping Trevor Simeon out, Trevor Simeon out uh, tremendously. But after another strong performance, where does C.J. Anderson rank amongst running backs? Uh, we're going to get him up at the back end of that number one, so in that 9 to 12 range, and especially when you start seeing some of the attrition from the usual uh, stalwarts and, and guys that the other roles we thought were going to be better defined. I mean, look no further than LeGarrette Blunt, who's watching Darren Sproles take on a heavy workload, and, and we're seeing you know, LeGarrette Blunt blowing back at fantasy owners like so many have. Uh, and this week, you know, he's got the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you know, that's going to bounce in one of those jolly old London games. Uh, so Anderson against Buffalo, top 10 rank, uh, you know, around the aforementioned Ty Montgomery, Melvin Gordon, uh, and Shady McCoy now drifting down into that territory given the uh, ineptitude of that Buffalo offense to date. It's the Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, so many quality wide receivers to choose from. you got to make some critical decisions at that position. What would you do with Corey Coleman? He's banged up. Would you stash him on the bench, or is it time to work the waiver wire? Yeah, I think you're going to work the waiver wire just based on your expectations of the Cleveland offense altogether. I mean, some folks looking at Rashard Higgins, uh, nice matchup coming up against Indianapolis, but it's it's tough to carry a guy where it's a boomer bust kind of opportunity when you're looking at the Cleveland offense altogether to look at a short-term IR stint with no guarantee of return post-surgery. I know this Tennessee Titans team is much better with both backs in the backfield playing very well, but is Derek Henry going to take the starting job in Tennessee or should you stay and stick with playing DeMarco Murray? Yeah, DeMarco Murray drifts down towards the back end of the second running back, so still startable because you're going to get that double-digit touch count. But it looks like Henry, the more explosive back, the guy that's going to be able to open things up. Now, obviously, in this particular game, uh, it was a blowout victory over the 
well, the Jaguars, who looked so good in week one, uh, returned to earth uh, week two. So running downhill, that means more of Henry. So we'll, we'll wonder if, if that wasn't a little of it. If you know, it's his time and, and pacing DeMarco Murray's carries when you're ahead that much. But uh, going forward, we could see an equitable split, and certainly around the goal line, I think we might start seeing more of Henry. Mike, last one for me. Let's call it an overreaction Tuesday. I know he was coming back from the high ankle sprain, and the giant offensive line is a sieve, but not great numbers for Odell Beckham Jr. Only targeted five times, merely four catches. Eric Flowers. Yes. Who's your man? I mean, come on, you even had rumors and, and fake reporter tweets going out that there was a fight at halftime because of his ineptitude uh, and inability to slow things down. Uh, you know, the fact that he was back on the field uh, encouraging altogether because we didn't expect to see him probably for another two to three weeks based on your normal time frames of coming in from the high ankle sprain. Although he, he did a little bit of the Ben Roethlisberger calling it a six- to eight-week injury and then showing up here in week two. Uh, so we'll, we'll see uh, what's concerning is the lack of playmaking uh, on the rest of the receiving core. And obviously Brandon Marshall, the linebacker, took up for Brandon Marshall, the wide receiver who can't get separation. Sterling Shepard, his best play was on that Eli getting crushed and just floating it up to him. Uh, and Shepard grabs it out of, uh, snatches it out of the air and makes a decent gain out of it. Uh, I'm not going to worry about Odell just yet, but putting him back in those lofty parts of the rankings might be another couple of weeks away if they can't figure out a fix for Flowers. Mike, tremendous information as always. As a Northwestern alum, are you more proud of what you saw from Trevor Simeon with the four touchdown passes against Dallas or Mike Adamley's year as the host of American Gladiators? Well, American Gladiators, no question about it. I mean, Mike Adamley uh, was the standard that he did a little bit of XFL. So, you know, anytime you can bridge and show your versatility like that, we have to be proud of it. What do you think has happened to our favorite Gladiators? Where's Nitro right now? I think I saw him in the gym the other day. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he was pumping your gas. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate the information. We'll chat with you next week. Be good, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. If you ever played for the Redskins, you can go on a radio show and have a sizzling hot take. Yeah. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, you just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, and lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash NoHuddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Straight ahead, we'll crank up the volume. More strong opinions to wrap up the show. We call it the hurry-up offense. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's find out who Cordell has set his sights on to get slashed. Cordell Stewart earned the nickname of Slash for his sensational versatility on the field, playing quarterback and wide receiver at a very high level. But that moniker also brings another dimension. A competitive edge that won't settle for losing. So if your favorite team is underachieving, Cordell is ready to present solutions. Buckle up your chin strap because a coaching staff and some key players are about to get slashed. 
Okay, partner, you have a lot of material to choose from last night. Let's start at the post-game press conference. Ben McAdoo taking a direct shot at his quarterback, Eli Manning. What happened on the delay of game? Uh, sloppy quarterback play. Quarterback and a center need to be on the same page there. we got to get the ball snapped. Why did you call a Because we have a veteran quarterback who's played a lot of football. I expect us to get the ball snapped. Usually the, the clock goes from uh, three, two, one, zero. Once it hits zero, they, they look at the ball, look at the clock. Usually have a tick once it hits zero to get the ball snapped. So those are the quotes that went viral. Still in that same media session, Ben McAdoo said, you have to look towards the head coach as well. I'll tell you the same thing I told the players. Put this game on me. We talk about playing uh, complete complimentary football. By no stretch of the imag- imagination that we get that done tonight. We got to do better. Dug ourselves in a hole. No one feels sorry for us. Uh, we got to find a way to get better and get better in a hurry. All right, partner. Let's dole out some truth serum. If we had a moment of clarity with Ben McAdoo, what was he really trying to say last night? It wasn't his fault that the game actually went the way it did. Here's my problem with Coach McAdoo. Is when you throw your quarterback under the bus, your center under the bus, that is locker room conversation. That's team meeting conversations. I mean, you don't take him and throw him under the bus when – when asked the question, why didn't you call a timeout? Because he needs to be aware of the time clock, the game time clock itself, himself. He can't just sit here and just put everything. I mean, the game gets out of control, gets out of whack. How many times have we seen coaches on the sideline call a timeout? How many times? They've done it for a lot of veterans. They've done it for Tom Brady. It's been done for Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, it's been done for Phillip Rivers. What makes Eli Manning any special? Or even Coach McAdoo when it comes down to being aware of calling timeout. Now, Trust me, you have veteran quarterbacks that deal with delay of games because they're trying to get it out and they were very close to getting it out, and they didn't. But Coach McIndoo needs to be on point. And it goes back to even last week of when talking about the Dallas Cowboys in week one. Say, I don't care who they're going to have back there. It doesn't matter because if you can't run the football and you can't see them, who do, why does it matter? You can't make it. So now all of a sudden, it's being thrown back in his face. Here's an offense that hadn't been able to score any touchdowns on the ground the inability to get anything done down the football field. You have Brandon Marshall, who's been an addition to this football team. He ends up dropping some ball. When you have three balls thrown to you in, what, week one and maybe two in week two, when all of a sudden now you have an opportunity to catch the football, I'm not making any excuses, but that goes to show you there's no rhythm. There's no rhyme and reason to what they're doing. And they did have Odell Beckham in this last game. All I know is right now the way this team looks, the direction that they're going in, and it start with Coach McAdoo. It doesn't start with the quarterback. It start with the head coach of this football team. Learn to call timeouts when it's time to call timeout. Don't throw your players under the bus for the sake of doing it because it's convenient and the pressure of the media and the fan base in the New Jersey and the New York area is just going to come down on you extremely heavy. And let's just go to another thing, Brian. Not all offensive coordinators turn out to be great head coaches. There's a few that do. But I think he's fallen in the category of not being a good head coach up until this point because right now he's failing as one. So with saying that, this offense in this, the defense is playing good. But you've got to find ways to get the ball in the end zone on the offensive side of the football. And they need to stick to running the football a little bit more. Stick to it. Allow it to, to, to be something that you want to be a staple of what it is you're trying to do. And so I think in the end, it's going to boil down to Coach McAdoo's inability to be able to transition and find a way to adapt 
to do something that plays to the strength of this offense because right now I have no idea who they are. I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish. And when you have a head coach out of left field, come out and say something that's true, something that's transparent. But you also have to be cognizant from the sideline to what's going on in the game as well so that you can help the process. You're on the goal line. Are you kidding me? Call timeout, coach. Stand right next to the referee. Call timeout. Don't wait on your quarterback to do it. And then all of a sudden you get into – uh, in, into your presser and you just throw those guys under the bus. Lack of head coaching experience, inability of getting the guys atten- getting the guys' attention, I think that's why they look so lackluster, to say the least. And they look like they're just flat. They're, there's no energy. There's no excitement. There's no, no nothing that indicates that this is a Giants football team that we've had an opportunity to see over the years, regardless of how bad they were. You still understood that when playing against the Giants, that you had to play football for four quarters. Because they were going to hit you in the mouth, they're going to make some plays. But as of lately, they hadn't been able to do anything. Only 13 points in the last two games. Nothing accomplished on the on the ground. Let's just look at it this way: Perkins, 16 yards, week one. Vereen, 28 points. Excuse me, 28 yards. 16 yards in the first week. First week, 28 yards in the second week. That's extremely bad when it comes to trying to play in that division, let alone trying to do something special to win it and trying to get to the postseason. Let me give you some numerical amplification of what you were saying about Ben McAdoo making the transition from offensive coordinator to head coach. And we have a long list of guys who were, quote unquote, offensive masterminds when they were calling plays and then they got the big job and flamed out. Tom Coughlin's last year, McAdoo brought in from Green Bay. The Giants had a top 10 offense. Last year, McAdoo takes over. What happens? They fall all the way down to number 25 in total offense, in large part because they cannot run the football. So let's try to parse things accurately here. Cordell, is this more about what's going on from the sideline and the coaching or an utter lack of play from the quarterback position? And do the Giants need to address the future of what's going on under center starting in this year's draft and selecting a quarterback early on? Well, I think you need to do that regardless, regardless if he has success or not. I mean, Eli Manning, we see the trend of of how things are regressing for him, regardless if they started off 2-0 or not. The team has to think about the future of this organization because let's just, let's just be honest, three to four more years of Eli Manning playing football with the changing of the gods and how they approach with the new tight end and young kid coming out of Mississippi State running the 4-4 tight end to the backs out of the backfield, you have to find pieces to put it in place to make it work for Eli. I think if anything, you start building for the future, grab a kid, second, third round, wherever you want to do it, maybe even first. You go first, that means it's a dire emergency to get it done now. But I think you find someone in second, third round that you may want to bring in uh, to, to maybe learn behind Eli for the next couple of years or so. If that's the case, you do that. But I'll start with the head coach first. He has to get these guys' attention. And one thing we know for sure when Tom Coughlin was there, the guys may have not liked how strict he may have been at times, but he got these guys' attention to where they played hard, worst-case scenario. They may have not executed as well as maybe Tom Coughlin wanted them to, but when it came down to effort, playing hard, you got that from the football team. And most importantly, they finished strong midway to the latter part of the season because Tom Coughlin was a no-nonsense guy. But this new energy by Coach McAdoo of pointing fingers, oh, this, this is totally different from the ways that I know of the Giants football team when it comes to the top man speaking about what's going on around this, around the locker room on the football field because they're a mere image of who he is. To me, at the end of the day, you are just like your head coach. Whatever goes out on the football field and performs, 
it's indicative to how the coaching staff coached these players to go out and produce. And what we got over the last couple weeks is everything opposite of production when it comes to uh, the team playing well together, but most importantly, the deficiencies on the offensive side of the football. Lack of a good running game, lack of consistency with throwing the football, Eli taking too many sacks, tackle for losses, drop balls. It's just There's just no continuity and no rhythm when it comes to what's going on on the offensive side of the football. So it starts with the head coach, and then you go ahead and pick who you want to go to next. Giants got Odell Beckham Jr. back from the high ankle sprain. He could not do much, really wasn't a catalyst, and nothing's really changed big picture. This is not, in my view, an overreaction to a small sample size, as you pointed out, just 13 points scored in the first two games, but there's a much more troublesome trend at play here. The Giants now with eight consecutive games with 20 points or fewer when you factor in their playoff loss on the road in Green Bay. This offense is stagnant. Hard to see what's going to change because that offensive line, even with the money they invested in trying to upgrade things up front, is a disaster. They can't run. And looking ahead, the Giants this Sunday on the road in Philadelphia. Then they're on the road at Tampa Bay, potentially 0-4 to start the year. Since we try to be balanced with our analysis, do you want to slash up your prediction that Minnesota's going to win that division? Because it feels like we should be giving much more credit to Detroit today. Well, yeah. I mean, this is what I've been saying about the Detroit Lions with Matthew Stafford. This is a much better football team, in my mind, without Calvin Johnson. I know that's a that's a loud conversation. That's a strong conversation because of what he'll end up uh, from an accolade standpoint achieving, which is the Hall of Fame at some point in time after his five years are up and he's eligible. Um, but I tell you what, Matthew Stafford is earning every bit of that $27 million on the average per year based on how he's led this football team. It looks a little quirky when he does it, but scrambling in the pocket, making plays, being able to look downfield uh, to get the ball to his players is something that I think he's doing a phenomenal job of. I know someone to say, well, Cordell, that- hey, you know what? If all he needs to do is throw for 122 yards, go 15 of 21, throw two touchdowns, and that helped his team win the football game, you know what? That's what it's all about. It's about winning. So when you talk about top quarterbacks in the game today and how they're playing, played good last week against the Arizona Cardinals. We saw what he did in the latter part of that game, going 7 of 8, completing the majority of his touchdowns. I mean, the majority of his passes, throwing two touchdowns. To now all of a sudden this week, throughout the entire game, being able to scramble, eluding pressure, finding the soft spots in the pocket, being able to flick the wrist a little bit, give the ball to the guys in the back of the end zone. I like what Matthew Stafford is doing right now. No one can complain about this new deal because amongst all the guys that did get extensions and new deals, outside of Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, is playing just as good right now when it comes to what he's doing. Yes, again, I think I talked about this yesterday. There's a division there in the NFC North, just like the NFC, just like the AFC West, that potentially could have conversations of three teams being in the fight of being the top two teams, let alone getting into the postseason. You have Detroit that's playing really good football. Can't knock them, can't deny them. Can't talk about deficiencies because I think everyone's more shocked and excited and, if anything, optimistic about what they're doing because of their quarterback in Matthew Stafford. Look at Minnesota. You saw what happened without having Sam Bradford in the mix and how good they played in the first week. I know we saw what happened with the New England Patriots and how they annihilated the Saints. We saw what they did in Minnesota come week one when they played against the Saints. We get that. But Sam Bradford, I think at the end of the day, for me, 
is the answer to why this team can and will, I think, have success in this division. And last but not least, Green Bay. I'm wondering how long they can last with the inability in the secondary to be able to make the stops up front, maybe even with the tackles being lost and maybe a backup tackle as well being lost on the offensive side of the football for Aaron Rodgers. How much how much conversation excuses we're going to make for that situation for him as well. So for me, I am still sticking with the Minnesota Vikings. I love what I see from the Detroit Lions. It's still early in the year, but right now they're trending in the right direction to where their confidence can be high and they can build off of what they've done in the past. Great win for, for that team last night uh, with Sam Bradford leading the helm with the Detroit with the Detroit Lions. Watching the game and listening on TuneIn Premium, the key was finally, at last, balance offensively. They had 32 run plays. Stafford only had to throw it 21 times, and the return of Amir Abdullah coming off the foot injury has changed everything on that offensive outlook. All right, my man, let's move from... That division that we are embracing, I don't believe in Minnesota as much as you do, but you know I'm all in with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and I have to concede the Lions are better than I thought they would be. Still, they got a lot of help from Matt Prater. See that kick that he was able to finagle in off the crossbar? He even has the finesse on his side. He can do it all. Quite a weapon to have a kicker who has that kind of leg. Let's go from what's clicking in that division to a failure in the NFC South. Saints 0-2 in large part because that defense can't stop anybody. But over on the offensive side of the football, Cordell, what's the future look like for Adrian Peterson? Well, I tell you what, speaking of how this team is starting off 0-2, this has been taking place for this team over the last, what, two to three, maybe even four years, where they've starting off 0-2 and missed the playoffs. Uh, two, what, two out of those three of those years in doing that. So I think it happened three times. But Adrian Peterson, how about him? All this conversation about this guy being able to rush for five yards per carry against all the teams in the NFC uh, in the NFC South, but now not having an opportunity nor a chance to be able to produce anything worthy of those five yards per rush against that division uh, when it comes down to playing some really good football, only rushing 14 times for a total of 44 yards. The longest run from the line of scrimmage was nine yards. Uh, I mean, that, that is, at best, horrible when it comes down to how they're using Adrian Peterson. Whether it's something that we don't know what's taking place behind the scenes as far as picking up the schemes, picking up the game plan, the playbook, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but from afar, if it's not that, which I doubt it is, if it's not that, I'm disappointed in Sean Payton and how they're using him right now. I think Adrian Peterson still has some gas in the, in the, in the tank. Uh, it may not be the high-octane diesel gas. He may be dealing with the 91 to 92-octane gas, the premium, uh, the gas coming from BP or even Chevron. You pick one. Shell, what do you guys have out there in that part of the country, Brian? You have what, Chevron? You have Chevron on all the corners. I know in Beverly Hills where you live, they have yes, Chevron. Yes, Why have and people so, go out and fill up my gas tank? So I don't yes. even know what's out there, Cordell. My man. So when it's all said and done, you have to utilize Adrian Peterson a little bit more. I know what you have in Kamara as well as Ingram. I get it. But even Ingram only rushed 14 times for 69 69 yards. And yes, at the end of the day, none of these backs at this moment in time, from what I see, have a touchdown. Neither one. So their inability to accomplish any and everything that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, quarterback getting sacked a couple times, only three touchdowns thrown uh, by Drew Brees. Their inability to succeed on, on the defensive side of the football, I don't think that's nothing new. But offensively, I thought we would be able to see just a little bit more 
when it comes down to having Adrian Peterson on this offense because of his ability to maybe impose, let's just say, a threat of running the football well by adding an eighth man in the box to a ninth man in the box, but their inability to get him involved the way they want to. I'll say they want to because I'll give Sean Payton the benefit of the doubt. He's pretty good when it comes to being created offensively. But to not get him in at this moment in time, to me, uh, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time, in my opinion. And you know what? That's the hometown team. But Coach Sean Payton, you get slashed on this day because you're not using that young man well enough, nor are you running the ball good enough to give yourself an opportunity to help the defenses out. defense out. What's the best defense on offense? The best defense on offense is controlling the line of scrimmage, running between the tackles, eat up the clock, create a, a 8-12 to 12 possession drive, which now you give a defense an opportunity to sit on the bench to dial up some plays to try to figure out what they can do next. But most importantly, you keep their offense, the opposing team offense, on the bench. So if they're an offense that like to throw the football all over the field, they have to sit down and think about it and get themselves warmed up to get back out on the football field while all you're doing as, as a defense is just blitzing them all day because you know they're trying to play catch up. Be, be methodical. Get some points. Field goal. Touchdown. Whatever you want to do. But yeah, get Adrian Peterson involved. Because right now, 14 carries for 44 yards, average of 3.1 yards per carry, longest run from the line scrimmage, nine yards, unacceptable. You're slash, Coach Sean Payton. You're slash. I know you told me I could use a facility for my camps, but you know what? You're slash two times. <laughs> How about that? Catch me outside on that one, buddy. Come on, man. We got to use Adrian Peterson a little bit better. This is This is crazy. To see that Adrian Peterson only has 44 yards rushing in two games, averaging three yards per rush. I'm not saying making him the lead rusher. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm really not. But to see their inability, whether it's on a goal line in Minnesota, whether it's how they use him in the very last game, it's not enough. Got to get more. Need more production offensively to help this team win because that's all they truly have. I'm going to tell like it is. Adrian Peterson, while he's been remarkable coming back from injuries before, on his way to the Hall of Fame, first ballot undeniably. At 32, coming back from another knee issue, wrong offense, he's going to be a non-factor. And if we're summing up the worst offensive moves in the offseason, number one for me is Mike Lennon getting $19 bucks to go to Chicago, and then the Bears draft Mitchell Trubisky. That was a colossal mistake. Number two, Adrian Peterson being signed by the Saints. We got five minutes left in the segment. We could do an hour on the dysfunction of the Redskins. What do you make of the sniping now between Santana Moss and RG3? Cordell, what year is this? It's 2017. We're still told. I can't believe we're still talking about stuff that happened years ago in D.C. Yeah, RG3 uh, making a statement uh, that he wasn't put in a position to have success. He was put in an impossible uh, situation uh, because Mike Shanahan is out of his mouth because Mike Shanahan just did not want him to actually go out and be the quarterback on this football team. So all of a sudden, Mike Shanahan ends up getting fired. Word from Santana Moss uh, is that RG3 was clapping because Coach Mike Shanahan was getting fired. And, and then you had Santana Moss basically saying that God doesn't like ugly to, to the point where it's almost as if karma is real, is basically what he was saying in, 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 a, in a nutshell, so to speak. Uh, but Come on, man. It, it, that's the mess you have going on in Washington, period. It's been messy. And when I use the words messy, you know how you, a, 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 bunch of, a bunch of guys start like sounding like cackling hens when they're just complaining and moping? That stuff is over with. RG3, keep your mouth closed. You're not on the roster. Hush. Be quiet. Shh. 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 
I know we're trying to have hot takes. Smoot or rather Santana Moss and talking to him. I get that because I'm, I'm down with it. If you open your mouth and you talk about a coach, I mean, especially those being defensive-minded defensive minded guys, Santana Moss being on the offense, I mean, you got to be careful because when he left the locker room, RG3, those guys, particularly those two and many other players on that team, said they didn't like RG3. He didn't want to hang out with the players. He thought he was better than everyone else. And then all of a sudden, here this comes up with him basically saying years later after being in Cleveland, got injured and got ran out of town from there too, uh, coming out saying that, you know, coach – didn't want him to have any success when he was on the football field playing. All he had to do was just handle his business. Trust me, I've been in a in a situation where sometimes it seemed like it was the hardest situations in the world. But I'm not going to sit here and necessarily complain uh, because I felt a certain way. I could talk about what it was and what it is, and maybe write a book. I, I did all that stuff from a transparency standpoint. <laughs> but I never. What's I never name of that basic... book? I'm not promoting that book. Oh, in quite by some the way, time. hey, the name of that book is Truth. It's all about transparency and things that I've dealt with as a kid growing up until now, but if you really want to check that book out, book out Brian Webber, you can grab another one and go by the hot tub and drink wine. Just go to CordellStewartTruth.com. That's my landing page mm. that will allow you to read everything about whether it be what was taking place when I first started in this game to what happened in the end, raising my son, all that great stuff. So you have an opportunity to grab something that's really transparent, and it's not just about football. It's about life and how you handle certain situations, which I can say RG3 is not handling this situation well. That's why we heard Santana Moss uh, come at him and basically say uh, that he figured at the end of the day with what he's saying right now, you know, it's kind of hitting him back in the face because guess what? RG3 is not on no one's football team right now. So five years ago, guys, let it go. Teddy Pendergrass said it best. Think it better. Let it go. Got to let it go. You know, and um, move on to the next thing. So, you know, RG3, because of your complaining, you get slashed. Because you don't need to talk about it. That's five years ago, bro. Good job, Santana Moss and all the guys that actually responded. But they don't need to respond to it neither. Because that's a long, long time ago. We, we know it was bad blood in the locker room with RG3 and some of those players. Just let it go, guys. Let it go. This is a new team. They still have problems. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with RG3, Santana Moss, or any of the guys, Smoots of the world, or anyone else that's on that was on that team. They're having issues there regardless. So um, they have enough problems on their hands. Yes, they beat the Rams this past week, and I thought Show LA was going to pull out that pull that out. I, I thought the young kid and Jared Goff was playing good, but uh, when you see how those guys are making plays and working really hard, uh, I think that kind of stuff. Uh, Kerrigan, when he ended up making one of those sacks in the red zone, which allowed the team to get some points, uh, they played well. But RG3, you get slashed. And you mentioned Fred Smoot. He was killing Kirk Cousins the week before when they lost to Philadelphia. feels like if you ever played for the Redskins, you can <laughs> Redskin go on haters. a radio show and have a sizzling hot take. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.